five, four, three, two, one. We are on. I am Matthew with the Bronze Comes Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. If you haven't noticed, I've switched the podcast to a Sunday and Saturday event. That way I can do my job and live life and be with family during the week. And then on the weekends, I can sit back, relax, and expound my thoughts right now. Um, If it changes, you'll know. So what we're looking at today is we're going to be looking at a continuation of what we had from last time. If you remember last time that we talked about the purpose of life and we came to the conclusion, or at least I came to the conclusion with you on uh, listening to me, that the purpose of life is the creation of life, whether it be from the uh, atheist Big Bang evolutionary point of view or the uh, supernatural creator point of view. The point is that we are to procreate, whether we're snail, monkey, man, elephant, gorilla, tiger, it didn't matter. The point is, is that you continue on the biological process that has come about either by nature or nature's God. What we're going to be looking at today is that if this is a true principle, if we're right, in what we're looking at. If, if we are accurate in our analyzation of this, then what we should see in nature or in humanity, in culture, some kind of protection or designation of this. What do I mean by that? I mean, you would have tribes, clans, cultures, countries, peoples, who have set up some kind of apparatus, some kind of institution wherein procreation could exist and protect that creation. Meaning, people have children, something exists to protect the having of the children as well as the raising of the children so that life can continue. Being as that what you're looking at is that continuance of life, and it being considered the purpose of life, those things would have to exist within a conscious species, such as the human species. Now, if we look at this in a natural view, like say, um, lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, or um, any other entity on the earth, what do those entities have that protect the purpose of life, the purpose of life being procreation. So let's sit back and let's look at nature first and not at the cultures of the the human species. If we look at nature and we are to then classify all of nature that procreates, that continues on or has to continue on some kind of line for there to be biologic matter in the biosphere of earth. So for example, how do trees procreate? How do they come about? Bushes, fish, um, reptiles, birds, mammals, right? We have to step back and we have to look at that because anthropologists as well as social scientists will look at animals and have a direct correlation or find a direct correlation between the human species and the animal world. For example, when looking at children or 
uh, chimpanzee children or kids versus human kids, children, in male-female tests, you know, what picks up the truck, is it the male or the female, what plays with the doll, is it the male or the female, we find that females generally pick up female dolls and males generally pick up the truck or the weapon or the ball or something, right? This, according to one thing that I read, was proof or or evidence that humans have a connection to the animal world as well as animals have a connection to the human world. Evidence of evolution. Now, evidence for evolution is not in our purview today, but what we're looking at is we're looking at some kind of similarity, some kind of biologic connection uh, between being male and female. And the reason that's important for us today is that the female of the species is always the spe part of the species that does the bearing of the children, either as eggs or by gestation. So what we're looking at is pregnancy, right? Either outside of the person or the animal or versus inside the animal, right? Some sharks have their pups outside and some have them inside, right? Most mammals have it on the inside, except for the platypus, which has it in eggs, which would be on the outside. You see where we're going? Now, gestation does continue on outside, such as pouches with the kangaroo and such. But for the most part, what you're looking at is full-term uh, birthing for the mammals uh, until the point of birth. Then, uh, birds, they all have them outside in eggs, reptiles in eggs, fish in eggs, sharks being a, an exception. Mammals in the ocean, such as dolphins, orca, uh, baleen whales, tooth whales, etc., they all have them naturally through gestation, right? So now that we see that, now that we're looking at that, does it have a bearing on procreation. Is there a pattern that we can look at and see? Now the truth is there is a pattern. In my summation, the more intelligent a species is, the more it has to take care of its young. So for example, fish, they spawn, they lay their eggs and swim away or die. Done. Over. Right. Whereas orcas, dolphins, humpback whales, they carry the uh, pup or the, the child to full term and then take care of them and stay with them for the entirety of their lives. In most cases, we then go to land animals and you see the, almost the exact same thing. Reptiles will, you know, put their eggs in a nest and then go away. Rep crocodiles and alligators are an exception to that rule, but snakes, lizards, toads, almost exclusively um, do not take care of their young after they're born. Now there are some examples, of course. There's always an example, uh, not example, but exception. There's always exceptions, of course, but those exceptions are just that. They are exceptions. You take the mammals of the, of the animal kingdom, and every single mammal of the animal kingdom that I can think of 
takes care of their young. I cannot think of one example in the mammal or the mammalian uh, side or the mammalian species in the animal kingdom that does not take care of their young all the way up to at least to close to adulthood to be able to survive. In fact, I see a really weird thing that happens in the animal kingdom when it comes to uh, procreation and more specifically in the mammal world. Because they take care of their young, the males want to have their line continue on. And therefore, when it gets to a season where they are supposed to be doing the mating, in many cases, if they win the battle to the rights of procreation with that female, they will do things such as kill the children of that female. We see this in big example with lions. Lions will go in, win the pride from the current lion, from the current male lions, and then go in and anything and everything that is keeping that mother from, or that female from being able to become pregnant, the lions will kill it. And so you see lion cubs being killed by male lions who just won the pride. Upon the death of those cubs, the female then goes in heat and is able to have more children. And the male lion is able to mate with her and continue on their line, their seed. There are many examples of this, especially within the mammal side of the animal kingdom. Now, does this correlate into other places, say, in the human world? Well, in the human world, we don't see this as much. In fact, I can't think off the top of my head where there was a people that decided that they were going to take over a tribe, village, country, whatever, and decide to either kill all the males or kill all the children just so that the women will um, mate with them. That doesn't happen. But in cultures throughout the world, there has only been one or two examples that I have been able to see or, or research where every single tribe, culture, people, language, creed, race, everything have decided to protect not only children and the having of children, but have created a bond unit that determines or demands that the parents take care of the child. And I'm talking about marriage. There's only those two that I'm talking about. One is in India and one is in China. And I can't remember what their names are. I think the, the China one is called the uh, Masuo, I believe. M-O-S-U-O, if I'm remembering this right. They, uh, they have a system where when the daughter is at maturity to be able to have children, she gets her own room and she gets to invite people over and mate with them. And then whatever comes out of that, the family basically raises the child. India, there's a tribe there that has a similar system going on. But if we look at this, these are two very minor peoples in size, influence, culture, um, numbers, etc., that are just a drop in the bucket in the sea of humanity. 
There isn't a tribe that I know of or have read about or researched on the American continent that had this. There isn't one in Africa. There isn't one in Europe. So what you're looking at is two tribes from places that are vastly or hugely populated have come up with their own system of doing things. That's it. Now, if we think about this, this would be something that you could almost say is a shared uh, consciousness of the human species, where the human species has decided as a species to protect procreation with a system or institution that will protect the kids, provide for the kids, and make it so that they are less of a burden on the whole. That's an interesting thought when you think about this. What this means is, is that the recognition of procreation, of the continuation of seed, of line, of, of progeny, is more important than most things in the human sphere of influence, culture, learning, and consciousness. We don't all have kings. We don't all have priests. We don't all have witch doctors or chiefs, generals, etc. But we all have a shared cultural identity of marriage, almost exclusively and solely for the continuation of the species. That is something to think about. So if we look at this and we think about this, what are the important parts of marriage? What's the important reason for this? The important reason that I can see and find is that anthropologically speaking and physically speaking in reality is that the human species is a very weak species. We aren't gorillas or elephants or tigers. We're much more like very big mice. Sure, we have some physical attributes that are impressive, such as our ability to taste almost anything and, and be able to um, determine what the ingredients of that are. That is unique to us in the animal kingdom. But our, our eyesight is not very good. Our hearing is not very good. Our smelling is not very good. Our touch isn't even as close as other animals. In comparison, we can't really go around tasting everything, deciding whether that is something that is good or dangerous or not. You know, you can tell just by looking at a tiger or a lion and the way they look at you, and then all of a sudden you see a canine, that thing's going to want to eat you, period, right? An elephant can tell, or you can look at an elephant and tell that's something you don't want to try to eat, not without significant danger or death. So what are we looking at? Well, that what this means is that marriage in the protection of life is there for exactly that protection and the provision of life, for the sharing of responsibility in the raising of life and the continuation of the species. This is seen in the animal kingdom, most specifically within birds where the two birds create a nest and the uh, male bird then goes off and protects the nest or gets the food or whatever, and then trades places with the female and takes care of the young while the 
mother then goes off and eats, and gets worms, etc., and brings it back to the nest. And there's this you know, symbiotic relationship in procreation and the raising of the chicks. You see this in the mammal kingdom as well, but it's not as pronounced or pronounced in the mammal kingdom. You know, deer, male and female will get together and procreate, and then the females basically raise the child or the offspring of that mating. And so we see multiple adaptations to the raising of young from the herd to the individuals to the individual single mom like bears um, and most wildcats into family units very much like gorillas, chimpanzees, lions, etc. Now why is this important? Why are we looking at this in the animal kingdom as well as the human kingdom? Because what we need to find out, what we need to understand, I believe, is what life is for. Now when we discovered the purpose of life being procreation, now we've discovered and looked at both in the animal world and animal kingdom as well as in the human kingdom that there are ways and institutions created specifically for the raising of offspring. Marriage is instituted for the raising and nurturing of offspring. And to put a finer point on it, that raising of the offspring it has shared values. It has shared responsibilities. Where naturally in the past, most cultures, most tribes, most people have the mother being the nurturer and the father being the breadwinner. There are of course exceptions in the human kingdom of this. And as pronounced as those exceptions are, they are not nearly as important as the, what we would call, or what I would call the traditional exception, or the rule. That traditional exception or rule would be mother at home, father winning the bread. Now why would I say that? Why do I say that that is the rule? With all of human history and all of the exceptions where the tribe basically raised them, or the family raised the offspring, why is the um, mother at home taking care of the child and the father away winning the day, the rule. I look at this specifically from a historic point of view at this point. Look at the cultures, look at the peoples that have come to dominate the world as well as um, dominate culture throughout all of history. You look at the Egyptians, the Mesopotamians, the Indus River Valley, although we don't know that much about the Indus River Valley, so we, let's throw them out. The Chinese culture in ancient times, right? We look at classical culture with the Parthians, the Greeks, the uh, Romans, etc. You're looking at them. Moving on, you then have multiple upon multiple uh, peoples that we can look at in the medieval time frame where every single one of them was female, taking care of the offspring at home, male, winning the day away from the home. Now, not necessarily away in the sense of, you know, commuting to work, but away in the sense of that they are the main breadwinner while the mother is the main nurturer of offspring. 
And when we look at this, this system, this setup, allows for the creation of greater culture, not just tribal culture, where it's just affecting your tribe and just being shared amongst your tribe, but is now taking over the culture of tribes nearby and allowing for a greater unity through that takeover of culture. Not only through the takeover of culture, but in many, many, many cases through the advancement um, politically through war or marriages or uh, unions. This has destroyed or made the advancing cultures through history. This ability to procreate, this ability to have the man out winning the day, and the woman at home taking care of the offspring. This has created the greatest empires on the planet where the opposite, where the men are taking care of the child and the woman is winning the day, or the village is taking care of the child and both parents are trying to win the day. And so it is through this pattern that we see that in order to create a strong, viable people, a strong, viable clan, village, tribe, in order to be and thrive and survive and continue on, you need to have a culture, you need to have a people, you need to have an institution of marriage and family unit where the mother is nurturing the child and the father is out winning the day. This protection, this provisioning of the man, of him being able to go out and sacrifice his time, his energy, his purpose to being not one of selfishness, but one of providing for a female and his offspring. Create a society wherein all things now are pointed towards raising children, taking care of families, and providing for that institution. If we switch this around and say the woman goes out and works and the man stays home, well, the natural inclination that has come from nature and nature's God are most likely being ignored, such as what we saw in the animal kingdom, where the female of the species is almost always the nurturing one, and only a few exceptions uh, included. To say that that no longer applies to humans because of consciousness, when all other signs indicate the opposite is really something that I would not want to gamble on the entire species. It may work for some tribes, it may work for some clans or some peoples throughout history and, and other places, but we are not looking at those. And the reason we are not looking at those is because they do not have the culture, the wherewithal, the political clout, the cultural clout that is and has been for generations determining who is the victor and who is not, who is continuing on and who is not, what ideas are being spread out there, the ideas of freedom, the ideas of slavery, the ideas of people being their own person and determining their own paths, or the ideas that everybody must follow a continuum as determined by the elite whether that's a chief or a king or whatnot, it does not matter. Just those that have power and authority over people, choosing 
to rule over people. So then this means that there is no one sex that is more important than another, whether the earning power or the provisioning power of one over another is possible, with the man being more capable of providing over the woman or the woman being more capable to provide over the man. The nurturing aspect as seen in nature of the female of the species is probably the most important part in this equation as such that they are able to cultivate the minds and the attitudes of the future generations. If the future generations do want to be a part of the current culture, that is specifically attributable to the female of the species, whether it's through choice or whether it's through absenteeism. The important part here is that the female of the species, even though the male of the species creates culture, the female of the species maintains the culture through her teaching of the future generations. And it is this teaching that helps determine the viability and the continuity of culture throughout time. Now, how can we say that? Let's sit back and just think for a couple of seconds. The American culture right now has changed. A hundred years ago, 120 years ago, at the turn of the century, between the 19th and 20th century, the 1800s to the 1900s, you were not considered a man if you did not have some kind of weapon on you in order to protect the female with you when you went for a walk at night, went for a stroll, or decided that you were going to date a woman or court a woman. Whereas nowadays, you can just walk in anywhere and pick somebody up and take them home. You don't have to be armed. You don't have to protect them. You don't even have to be sufficiently strong to be able to do it. You just have to be there. This has destroyed Western civilization in one very big aspect, and that is in the family. Women are out of the home even more. Men don't even care about the home now. Divorce is way up. Men not caring about their children or not paying child support at the very least is way up. In short, the American culture does not value continuation. It does not value progeny. It does not value procreation in the natural sense. It values the act of it, but it does not value the dedication towards the effect of it. If we wish as a people to maintain freedom, if we wish as a people to maintain equality amongst the sexes, amongst the races, kindreds, tongues, peoples, of all shapes, sizes, and time, we need a strong family unit. We need to strengthen, we need to strengthen the institution of marriage between a male and a female and the offspring that comes from it. Without these as a whole unit, what we will have is a unit that is non-functional. A non-functional unit within a society is waste and eventually is left on the side so that society can progress. Well, all of society, as we have seen, progresses based upon procreation 
progeny, a continuation of the species and of the culture. Without that, there is no people, there is no culture, and there is no continuation. So we need to strengthen the female, strengthen the mother and her ability to choose to be home and nurture the offspring, the children, to become a better generation and a better people. And we need to strengthen the male to step up and become the breadwinner, the one that goes and carries the day that makes it possible so that the woman can stay home with the child and nurture that culture into the future. Thank you for being with me in the Brahmins Compass podcast. My name is Matthew. If you like this, share this with your family and your friends. And if you don't, keep it to yourself. One, two, three, four, five. We're out.